0: Uh, Pop quiz, here's a phrase, true or false? I am what I do, true or false? How many say uh, true, I am what I do? How many say false? How many of you are conscientious objectors? Just not gonna participate in this foul campaign. Yeah, Um, I think it depends how you think about it. But I will say this, and then maybe by the end of the sermon it will make sense to you. I will gladly change who I am in order to do what I should do. I'll gladly change who I am in order to do uh, what I should do in life. We're in the middle of a sermon series out of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that this famous apostle Paul wrote to a young church in the city of Corinth. It is a letter about uh, how to live out faith day to day. Uh, Paul has planted a church. He has converted a bunch of Corinthians to faith in Jesus and they are trying to follow uh, Jesus in their daily lives, but it's complicated. You know, it's one thing to believe in God and it's another thing to really shape your life according to God and following Jesus in the world. There are practical questions and situations, so it's a very practical letter. Uh, The people in the city of Corinth, were by and large pretty wild people. It was a very out of control, licentious, wealthy, philosophically relativistic city. Uh, so in that sense, it's a lot like our cities. And um, the uh, the letter to the Corinthians is filled with practical advice about living out our faith. Uh, advice that is relevant uh, even today. Uh, in, in this letter, Paul is, is doing a couple things generally. He is he is addressing reports that he has heard about the church in Corinth, and they are not all good reports. We've already covered uh, some of these in previous chapters. Uh, he gotten bad reports about their moral behavior and stuff like that. The other thing that Paul is doing is that he is addressing specific questions that the Corinthians have written to him about. They, they were wise enough to, uh, to ask for advice, advice on questions uh, that, that they had. We're about midway through the letter. Uh, Paul has, uh, uh, beginning about chapter 8, Paul uh, begins answering some questions they had about how to live following God in the midst of a, a pagan society where there are lots of idols, lots of different gods. In specific, he has been addressing uh, how to eat with people who sacrifice their food to idols. So what they do is they, they cook a feast, they, they dedicate the feast to an idol, to some sort of false god. And then they invite you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, uh, to come eat at that feast. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, if I eat that food, am I honoring this false god? Am I going to get, you know, am I going to do a bad thing? How, how should I behave in that situation, Paul? And so uh, he has been answering that question in chapter 8. And then in the, in the middle of his answer in chapter 9, he shifts gears a little bit. And he talks more generally about freedom, about the freedom we have uh, in God. And then in chapter 10, he switches back to the specific question of how, how do you behave in sort of this pantheistic, relativistic uh, society. So uh, what I'm going to do is jump in on chapter 9 uh, and, and uh, sort of engage Paul uh, in the middle of this larger discussion Uh, at a time where he's talking about freedom, our freedom in Christ. And in particular, uh, the problem that he's addressing today is what makes freedom work for you and not against you? What makes your freedom of choice in life work for you and not against you? In previous chapters, if you've been following along, you know that Paul has spoken about not using your freedom in Christ to sin. He's taught the Corinthians, look, you're, you're free from the law, you know, uh, you're kind of free from all the rules and the regulations, you really don't have to worry about those too much, uh, Jesus is a Lord of grace, God is a God of freedom and forgiveness, so I don't want you to sweat it too much, and the Corinthians' response to that was, great, we're just going to party, you know, we can do whatever we want, we're going to be very licentious and immoral, and Paul said, no, no, that, that's not actually what I meant. Um, sure, God forgives and there's grace, but if you live a life of sin, then the sin enslaves you, it diminishes you. You know, your sin does not keep God from you, but your sin might keep you from God because it eats away at you from the inside and it makes you a, a, a weak and, and corrupted and um, slavish person. So don't do he? this. So he's already talked about not using your freedom to sin. Now what he wants to talk about is what to use your freedom for. You're not going to use it to sin. Well, what what should you use it for? How is it that freedom works for you? How is it that God has designed the universe in such a way that he's given us this kind of freedom? What exactly is he after? In specific, I think he wants to talk about the attitude that makes your freedom work. If I could encapsulate it in a phrase, I'd probably use that word attitude. What attitude do you have to have in life in order that your freedom, your free choice, actually works for you uh, instead of against you? Uh, and, and his answer in, in, in uh, contemporary terms is well, you need a winning attitude. Uh, you need to think about winning in life. You don't, you don't need to think about what you're allowed to get away with, <laughs> you need to think about being a, a winner, being excellent. According to what, you may ask. I'm glad you asked. Uh, and and that's, what, uh, that's what we'll be taking a look at today. Do you, do you agree with me that, that freedom is often a problem for people? You think that's true? Freedom is often a problem? Have any of you ever been uh, a young adult? Freedom is often a problem. I, I think this is crystallized in, uh, when you go to, to colleges, not, not necessarily commuter schools, but like residential colleges, how many of you went to like a residential college, right? What happens to people in their freshman year at college? Pretty much a wasted year, right? People get away from home, uh, nobody's looking over their shoulder, nobody's telling them what to do, uh, you know, nobody's living with them, chaperoning them all the time, and so they just come unglued, right? I mean, not, not you guys. I know, not, not you, but I have heard it said that some people, when they go to college, they just, they just come unglued, right? Uh, their dorm rooms are a mess. They're scheduled, uh, uh, their schedule is a mess because, you know, they don't have to be anywhere on time, really, and so, you know, they don't. Uh, their social life just becomes this upheaval, uh, this chaos. Am I Right? I mean, not you, but say amen if you've seen people affected in this way. If you've ever seen 18, 21-year-olds struggle with their freedom. Anyone? All right. right, wasn't, wasn't just my school. Um, their hygiene takes a hit. Amen? Anyone? It's totally true. Um, I think particularly, I mean, if, if, if you're a student who's gone to college, then you already have some tools, you have some skills, you have some academic skills. I mean, you made it to college, right? Um, that's not the challenge uh, for most 18, 19-year-olds. The challenge is they don't have the skills, the tools to really manage their freedom, to make their freedom work for you. And so you have to learn this whole second set of life skills. You have to adjust your attitude a little bit. Instead of worrying about what you have to do, you need to grow up. You need to decide... what what you're going to do. You need to be proactive about what your life is about, what you want to achieve. That's part of of growing up. Freedom should help us discover who we are and what we should be about in life. That's kind of the role. Freedom should help us discover who we are and what we are to be about in life. Well, Paul has preached freedom, uh, the freedom of grace to the Corinthians as we have discussed. God is generous, God is forgiving, etc. And and now, you know, he's basically asking, what are you going to do with it? Do you know what it's for? Do you know how to use this to mature, to get even more free in life? Are you going to use your freedom in an attitude of, of license, for licentiousness? Are you just going to let your dorm room go to pot, so to speak, literally and metaphorically? Um, or are you just going to, let your schedule fall apart? Are you just going to careen through life randomly or or are you going to uh, have an attitude of purpose? That's really the dividing line in in his mind. It's by and large, I think, easier to define what we should not do with our freedom than it is to define what we should do with our freedom. Uh, Because what you should do with the freedom that God gives you Uh, might be a little bit different than what I should do. It's hard to give really specific answers. Paul is not defining a law about what you ought to do in life. He's defining an attitude of how you should live life because you are free creatures, because you actually get to make choices. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. There are no rules and regulations about how you must do everything in a given day you get to choose. So what attitude are you going to adopt as you go through life making your choices? So today's passage is about how to use freedom for excellence in your life. And the key verse, just to tip my hand, uh, comes toward the end. There's rather a longest passage on the back of your program. Um, the key verse, I think, uh, comes around 23, 24 if you're following along in, in your Bibles. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, live life to win. You want to live life to win. So I've entitled the sermon Living to Win, which I think is a great title, uh, living to win is the sort of title that you find on all the books in the Christian bookstores, right? Living to win, uh, Jesus' is ten steps to success, and I usually don't title my sermons like that, but I think I think this could be a this could be a good one. Living, living to win. Uh, it's not very often that I fit a mold, so I'm trying to celebrate. Living to win, your best life now. No, I didn't say that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So let's read through here. Uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to read excerpts from 1 Corinthians 9 and then just a little bit from 1 Corinthians 10. You're looking at me funny. Sorry. Today is our 23rd anniversary. I'm <laughs> I'm married to win. And uh, Sonia's living to survive for 23 years of marriage. Uh, we don't know how we're going to celebrate today, but we'll do something, right? Let's take a nap. That's what it's like after you're married for 23 years. Let's take a nap. Whee! All right. First Corinthians 9, excerpts, uh, and then a little bit from, uh, from chapter 10. Um, so, just... A, s- a little bit of background, uh, when Paul uh, shifts gears and he begins to talk about freedom, he's, a, he's addressing an issue that has come up in his relationship with the Corinthians, and that issue is, uh, is Paul a respectable apostle or not? Because there are other apostles passing through Corinth now, and frankly, they look more impressive. Uh, they dress the part of Christian leader in a way that Paul does not dress the part uh, and, and so people are tempted to despise Paul, even though Paul's ministry has been very fruitful in Corinth. And, and this, is, this is kind of Paul's occasion for jumping into his discourse on how to use freedom. Am I not free? He says. Am I not an apostle? And you can imagine people in the Corinthian church being like, well, I mean, is he? We have discussed this. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And you know he has, if you read, you know, like Acts chapter 9, Paul got converted, not by a human, but by Jesus appearing in the sky and blinding him. It was a very supernatural encounter. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Um, Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. Surely I've blessed your life and you should See me as some sort of leader, some sort of minister. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's saying something there. Uh, a man is proven by his fruit. You know, what, what have I produced? That's not how I look that counts. It's what I produce in life. It counts. And, and Paul is saying to them, in one way, shape, or form, I produced you. So isn't that good? Uh, This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, Peter? Uh, Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to, uh, to not work for a living? If we have sown spiritual seed among you, Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Most of the itinerant ministers that came through Corinth uh, demanded an honorarium. I didn't demand it, but you know, they sort of... Maybe hinted, I don't know, that they received some support from the Corinthian church. I'm an apostle while I'm here teaching you, you should support me uh, and my wife and my family. And of course, we know Paul was unmarried, and Paul and Barnabas worked to support themselves. They made tents, they, you know, they worked part-time on the side in order to support their ministry. Uh, But he says, uh, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He continues, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those... uh, Not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Play to win in life. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do that to get a crown that won't last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How much higher the stakes in the game that we're playing, is what he's saying. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike my blow. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the top prize. I'm doing everything I can to win. Paul is saying. And then picking up just a few verses in chapter uh, 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. He's talking about the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt now. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and drank the same spiritual drink, the water from the rock for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Even back then, it was Christ active in their lives. God was pleased; was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You know, what he's saying is the ancient Israelites experienced the famous miracles of God coming out of Egypt. They got fed supernaturally. They saw his presence in a cloud. They they got their water supernaturally. And what did they do? Well, think about what they did, because whatever it was, it ended up causing God to force them to walk around aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years until they died. So what are they missing? End passage. That's the question that Paul ends with. Just a rather a sweeping passage, a great one, sort of a, a famous one. There are a, lot of verse, a lot of memory verses come out of 1 Corinthians 9. Some of you probably know that. All things to all people. That's a famous verse that comes out of there. What's Paul talking about? Uh, with those verses. Uh, let's go back to the beginning and just sort of run through it. Um, you notice the subtext as Paul opens the chapter, uh, with verses 1 through 6. He has been criticized. People have been disdaining Paul because he doesn't look professional. You know, he, he doesn't look like a good, you know, double breasted ordained seminary trained minister. Uh, he looks rather meager. You know, here's a guy that comes to town and he has to work on the side. His life looks very unstable. You know, he's just, it's not, it's not really professional. Um, and, uh, and people are tempted to, uh, to treat him as, as second rate, which I think Paul is cool with. It's just that he needs people to listen to his advice. And so he's challenging them. Why, why do you think I'm so much lesser than the other guys who are professional apostles. Uh, what's, what's the deal with that? Paul did not dress the part. Um, <clears throat> Paul had this problem in the church in general, uh, just to sort of share the history with you. A lot of the super apostles in, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, the, the guys who are part of Jesus' original bunch, James, uh, Peter sometimes, they treated Paul with some disdain. You know, a little, some dirty laundry from the early church. A lot of people disliked Paul. Peter said famously at one time, "Uh, the guy is so overeducated, I think he might be crazy. Um, There was a famous feud between James, the the half-brother of Jesus, Mary's son, James. Uh, um, He was was very Jewish. He was very sort of into the law, into strictures. And so there's some indication that, that they butted heads from time to time. Uh, We know from reading the history of Acts that when Paul got done with his final missionary journey and and wandered back to Jerusalem, finally, a lot of the Jewish Christians, a lot of the people in the Jerusalem church hated him and wanted to, I mean, literally see him killed. And and that whole thing sort of ended up uh, directly or indirectly getting Paul thrown into prison uh, where he would languish away. Paul was uh, finally uh, killed uh, in the in the persecutions done by the famous emperor Nero, he got beheaded about the same time Peter did. Um, so he was never really embraced. I mean, sometimes he was, but very often he wasn't. He always lived in this tension. Uh, he didn't help himself by taking the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, which a lot of the Jewish Christians thought was a no-no, because Gentiles were dirty and unclean. Paul, Paul was a gutter minister, <laughs> In, in, in the early days, he was, he was that guy that sort of existed, uh, ministered outside the walls of the pretty, the pretty church, if there was such a thing in those days. All of the Christians were fairly ragged, but Paul especially so. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the context, and I think the Corinthians have absorbed some of the rumors, right? The other missionaries, the other apostles have, have come through and said, oh, wow, there's a church in Corinth. Who's, who's been leading you guys? Paul Oh, him, yeah. Um, look, let's do some Bible study. Let me, let me sort of, let me, let me clean you up a little bit because, you know, Paul, I mean, he's nice, but kind of, kind of like that. Uh, that, that was the situation. And Paul's point here is, look, if I wanted to insist on the trappings of my rank, you know, if, if I wanted to be all that, um, sure, I could be. Do I not have that right? Just because I've chosen not to play life in that fashion, just because I've chosen not to embrace status, does that really make me an inferior person or my message an inferior uh, message? Um, and he uses that controversy to begin to introduce some principles that have to do with living to win, running the race so you might win. Uh, He says, this is the reason I don't look so glorious. This is the reason, uh, you know, I I don't have the status and the gilded trappings of a super apostle. This is why I'm just a working guy. Uh, Number one, uh, the mission is my goal. I do what is necessary to preach the gospel and share in its blessings, is how he puts it. So number one tip from the passage, living to win Is there a slide coming up here? Wait. There it is. Uh, the mission is good. No, the mission is the goal. Mission is the goal. Observation number one. EJ, who prepared the slides, could not read my handwriting. Wait, wait, wait. Ah. Mission is mission. The mission is good. True. True. Fair point, EJ. But the mission is the goal. Uh, In life, what Paul is saying here is status is not the goal. What the goal is is getting things done, getting gospel things done. So I really don't think much about how I look and what my rights are. Um, I think about what I need to get done in life, what I have to do. Which brings corollary point uh, number two, tip number two, don't ever get distracted by your rights in life. Don't ever get distracted by your rights. The, 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 the goal-oriented mentality, the mission mentality that Paul is suggesting to us is if it needs to be done and you can do it, get it done. Period. That's really all you need uh, to worry about. Whenever you say, well, why should I have to be the one, dot, 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 you've been distracted by your rights. Right? Whenever, whenever you say... Well, I mean, why don't I have all the goodies that so-and-so has? Boom, you've been distracted by your rights. You're no longer thinking about the mission. You're thinking about your, your status or your comfort or something like that. And Paul, uh, on purpose, is exemplifying to all of his churches. Um, that's, that's not how you play the game to win. It's not about being comfortable, you know. Um, I grew up playing American football. Uh, that was my big sport, uh, and in football, you do not you do not complain about comfort, right? You you know you dislocate your elbow. I actually did that in a game once, dislocated my elbow, and I had a, I had a coach at the time uh, who was rather a, uh, an aggressive alcoholic, and, which is a bad combination. Youth football, aggressive alcoholic coach. Anyway, so I dislocated my elbow, and I came trotting to the sidelines like, oh, coach, oh, coach. And he grabbed me by the face mask and said, you quit your complaining. You get out there and you feel that punt. And if you fair catch it, by God, I will work you until you faint tomorrow at practice. Burp. And so um, I, I, I remember that play because I fielded the punt, I slipped, and the first wave of defense missed me. And then I got up and I ran down. I actually scored a touchdown and then was taken straight to the hospital (laughs) because my arm was okay. And the guy blocking for me got a concussion on the play. So they took him straight to the hospital. And one of the defenders on the play got a concussion uh, being blocked by the guy who got the concussion. And so he got taken straight to the hospital. And so we were all sitting there in the emergency room talking about our coaches. In American football, you do not complain about your comfort level because football players are men. And then I watch this other football, this soccer that's been on the TV so often, right? Those soccer players get nudged, and what do they do? Ah! They flop, they fall down, they bite each other when they're on the ground. What is this? Have you been following this game? Is it really gonna take root in America? Land of men? Send your letters to TJ, my assistant, a pastor. Not to me. But just completely different mentality, right? Um, I'm joking just because it's World Cup season. Um, but as soon as, as soon as you play for comfort, right? As, as soon as you play with a complaining spirit or something like that, you get taken out of the game of life. And that's really, um, that's really the point. Uh, that, that Paul is making here. Don't ever get distracted uh, by your rights. Don't ever say, Well, why should I have to? Or, Why don't I get to? As soon as you do, um, you're, uh, you're off your game. Uh, one of the proverbs we use around here in ministry is Leaders never get offended. You're not allowed to get offended um, if you want to take care of people or lead people in the kingdom of God. Because as soon as you get offended, by definition, you're being selfish you're emphasizing your own rights, vis-a-vis uh, somebody else's. So uh, we can sort of measure how you're doing in this regard uh, by just asking you, well how often do you find yourself getting offended in life? How often do you find yourself feeling disgruntled? And, and that will give you uh, your answer. Are you living for the mission? Are you keeping your head down going forward? Um, or are you constantly worried about your place? Uh, and and uh, your rights. Another question I think is useful um, I've asked myself in life on occasion when thinking about the purposes of my life, the missions of my life, things that I get involved in I ask myself would I do it for free? Would I do it for free? Would I do this without any reward? I'm not just talking about you know a salary I'm just saying would I do this if there were no recognition you know, no applause, no payment uh, of any kind. And that's a good check. You know, I, th- I feel like I should do it. Would I do it for free? And if I can say yes, then I know that I'm doing it freely. I'm doing it in freedom. I'm using my freedom uh, well. A um, couple inventory questions. Well, it goes on. Uh, Paul uh, uh, Six is famous few verses right in the middle. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become uh, like a Jew. <clears throat> to the Gentiles, I become like the Gentiles. To the weak, I become weak. Uh, and I do this so that I can save uh, whomever uh, I, can, I can save. What do I want to be in life? is a question that at one time or another we all ask ourselves. And I think that you should answer that by saying, I want to be whatever I need to be to accomplish my mission. The first question is, well, what should I accomplish? The second question is, you know, what do I need to be to get that done? And that's sort of the proper way to progress through life. Of course, that presumes that you know uh, what you should accomplish. More about that later. Um, It's a different and unique way to think about identity. Who are you? Well, in part, that question is answered by, what are you trying to accomplish in life? Um, Some fruitful space for reflection uh, in that one. I uh, have on occasion been in situations uh, in which I've learned this lesson in a practical way. Remember when I, when I sort of left academia, my first job was with a software company, with a startup software company, uh, as many of them are. Um, and uh, when I joined the company, there were like five employees and, you know, we, and we grew slowly. I joined the company to be an engineer because I had some history in writing code, a certain kind of software code. and. Uh, I got about three months into it and I realized, you know, we're building good product here, uh, but nobody is buying it and nobody is buying it because nobody is selling it. And so I went to my boss and I said, I think I should probably be a salesman, which is an incredibly difficult thing for me to do because I just don't have that personality. You know, I just, you know, salesmen, good salesmen have that personality. Uh, I don't have that. I'm very introverted, you know, sort of quiet, retiring, uh, not socially aggressive, uh, uncomfortable, in almost all social situations. Um, not, not a salesman type person, but somebody has to do it. Uh, and so uh, I started trying and figuring out, well, if, if Jordan Sang is going to be a salesman, what kind of salesman can Jordan Sang be? Because I'm not going to be like the other guys, you know? And, and I worked that out, and I finally succeeded at selling a few websites, and I realized, you know, we need more than a salesman. We need a sales approach. We need a marketing approach of our products. Again, I went to the president of the company. I said, you need to make me the vice president of marketing. That's the title that I need to do the job that I need to do. And He said, sure. You know, we're a startup. You are, boom, vice president of marketing. Uh, great. Uh, made up a business card and then I started visiting people saying, I am a software executive. I am the vice president uh, of marketing and you need to listen to what I have to say about how we've positioned our product in the market space. Um, it sort of went on from there. It was a great, I worked there for, for two years. And it was actually, I, I did not like the job at all. And it did not end particularly well. But I learned so much, you know, about, I want this to succeed. I don't even care about this. This is a hunk of software. Uh, you know, my life is not about selling database-backed websites. Um, but what do I need to achieve what what needs to be achieved in order that all of these people keep their jobs. And you just have to figure out what needs to be done. And then the title you attain flows from the mission that you're on. It was super helpful to me uh, to go through uh, that experience. Sometimes uh, it's harder for me to do that in more general life situations. You ever, mom, dad, you ever wake up one morning and, and feel like, I don't want to be a parent today. You don't have to raise your hand, but. I can see I have struck a chord, you know, particularly if it's early in the morning and your kids are really small. You know, today I just kind of want to be free, you know. Uh, I don't want to have to play that role. But we have learned that as parents, right? You're going to do what needs to be done to fulfill your mission as a parent because you love the little things, all right? You realize that you have a purpose in that regard. So different ways that you might learn this. Uh, but the principle holds. Um, Tip number three, be what you have to be to do what you have to do. If you need to be a software executive to fulfill your mission in life, do it. If you need to be a part-time tent maker uh, to fulfill your ministry, your purpose in life, do that. If you need to be a stay-at-home parent, do that. If you need to go back to school, do that. If you need to live without any visible means of income, do that. Whatever you need to be. You can be weak, you can be poor, you can be lofty. But whatever you are, make sure that you are that thing because of your life purpose. Be what you um, need to be to do what you have to do. Um, I'll say as well that your gifts do not determine what you do in life. They only determine how you go about doing it. So... Um, It's like my salesman story. I did not have the usual gift set of a successful salesman. And so I took some time that, well, what gifts do I have? You know, I was a good writer, I was a creative person, I became really good at the proposal process. You know, I used what I had. Um, Your gifts don't determine what you do in life, it only determines how you go about doing it. Be whatever you have to be to do what you have to do. That's the winning mentality. Um, I remember um, when I was in high school having talks about what do you want to be when you grow up, you know, as graduation approached, um, I talked about that like most of us do at that age. And I remember a conversation I, have, I had with my dad about, well, you know, what am I going to study in college? What do you think I should do, dad? And he suggested to me, although he was not, not a believer, not a church attender, he said, I think maybe you should be a, a pastor. Have you ever considered uh, becoming a, a pastor? And I remember succinctly my response to him, no way, Uh, no way. That just does not suit me, Dad. Um, That's the last thing I would ever want to be, uh, to be clergy in a church. (laughs) Uh, Still doesn't suit me very well. Uh, I did not plan uh, to serve this role in life, to have this capacity. Uh, but it, I, I felt in it because uh, I was trying to accomplish certain things. I was trying to expand the kingdom and to gather community and to build up the people of God. And it just turned out that this was the best slot for me to be in. I feel a little bit like I did back in my salesman days. I don't have the normal gift set. But if I have to be a salesman, what gifts do I have to bring to bear? And uh, I feel like I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm not a normal church pastor, am I? I'm an abnormal church pastor. But using what I have. Being what I have to be to accomplish what I have to accomplish. Somebody give me some love. I've just made a a vulnerable confession to you. So thank you very much. Did I mention it's my anniversary today? Affection. Um, At the end of the chapter, I think Paul lays it out. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Um, Live like an athlete. Live like a warrior. If you are a warrior in a battle, uh, nothing matters except fighting. Uh, If you are an athlete, if you are training for the Olympics, you arrange your life in such a way that everything else is secondary, tertiary, right? You live with a focus, almost an obsession. And this is sort of what Paul is talking about. the, the athletic event of the day of the Greek world was, back in those days, the Olympics, uh, the classic Olympics. And people would train for that. Uh, all your um, uh, athletes were just athletes. You know, they were nothing else. And Paul is using that image and recommending it to the Christians that he was working with, saying, look, this is how you should live your spiritual life. This is how you should live with Jesus. You should live athletically, you know, like, a, like an athlete. Like, like a warrior. You should shape your body, what you eat, how you sleep. Everything should be about your mission. And, that, and that's what athletes need to do to win a gold medal, right? They, they live it, they breathe it, they sleep it. And, and Paul is recommending this athletic attitude to us. Uh, live to win. Let everything you do be about accomplishing uh, your mission in life. Um, I would probably amend that, I've said live to win, but I think a better thing to say for most of us is live as though you can win. Because I think the barrier is most of us do not think that we can. Most of us just don't think we're athletes. We just don't think we're spiritual athletes. We don't think really that we have much of a purpose, much of a mission. When I say live your mission, a lot of you kind of respond with a vague guilt free uh, guilt feeling. Uh, yeah, you're just telling me that I'm not doing well enough. and. And probably there are some of you that react with an opportunity feeling like, yeah, I can, I can have a mission in life. God has called me uh, to excellence in life. You don't know that you're athletes. You don't know that you're warriors. Uh, But you're an athlete if you live like an athlete. You're a minister of the kingdom of God if you live like a minister of the kingdom of God. You are what you do in that sense. Uh, so I think the embedded question is, do you do you believe it? Do you believe that you are of this Olympic calling in Jesus? Paul, for one, uh, thinks that you do. You don't think you're athletes, but you are. You don't think, perhaps, that you have much of a purpose, but you do. You might fret about finding your purpose. Um, you might complain about not, being able to find uh, your purpose, you might not feel like you count or that you count for much, but you are what you do. If you live as though you have one, you have one. You you will find it. If you live like an athlete, you will be fit, right? Um, even if I don't know you, I can meet you, shake your hand, and in about four seconds, I will know if you live like an athlete, right? I, I will I'll be able to just glance at you and gauge with some fairly accurate approximation uh, your fitness level. The way that you live tells, right? And I can look at you and pretty much know what you're capable of physically. because of how you live. Well, the same is true spiritually. I can sort of meet you and and if you can imagine that I could glance at your spirit, I would be able to tell if you live with spiritual athleticism or not. Are you fit? Are you exercising in ministry? Or have you forgotten Um, who you are? The attitude is a choice. And finally, there's this rather sober ending. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into modus. They all ate that miraculous manna in the desert. They all drank that miraculous water from the rock. And God ended up terminating them, wandering aimlessly in the desert. Why does Paul go here at the end of this passage? I think what he's saying is, look, you could have a miraculous life, uh, you could go through baptism. Uh, you could have all of the spiritual experiences that, uh, that God provided to our most famous ancestors in, in, the past, in the past. But if you don't use that properly, you'll just end up wandering around in life. And, and that picture of the Israelites wandering around in the desert, that, that is sort of my iconic picture of purposelessness. You don't want to spend the next 40 years of your life walking in circles, do you? And what Paul's implying here is that if you don't want to be that, if you don't want to walk aimlessly in life, then live to win. Remember that you're, you have a mission and that that's your goal and you have to pursue that mission athletically. You have to pursue that mission in disregard for your status or what people think about you. You know, And if you don't do that, You will waste your life. You will waste all of the grand things that God has done for you and that God has done for our people. Don't do that. There's a big or else at the end of this. Use your freedom for purpose or else you'll just die wandering around in life. And for Paul, that was a terrible, terrible tragedy. The Israelites, it's not that they did not see the grandness of God or have testimonies of his existence. The problem with the ancient Israelites who died in the wilderness is that they didn't embrace their purpose. They, they, They didn't go for it. They received it, but they did not go for it. Use your freedom for purpose. Following so far? We all share a purpose generally, right? We all have a mission to spread the kingdom of God and to glorify the name of Jesus. Uh, But there are ways in which you can discover your personal mission as well. Everybody has a specific calling in life. And Paul will talk about that, as I said last week, repeatedly in the book of Corinthians. And the, the big chunk of the second half of the book is about how you discover your peculiar purpose on earth. You have to stay tuned for that. But this passage should convince you it is a very, very important thing to think about. You need to know what your mission is. Otherwise, your freedom is wasted. Otherwise, you're just going to obsess about what you should or should not do in life and never know what you're made for in life, what your freedom is all about. So given that, given that, your freedom is for purpose, are you willing to embrace your purpose? Yeah? Are you willing to be spiritual athletes? Be a little bit obsessive about your spiritual life. What do you think? Yes? Um, Are you willing to be whatever you need to be in life to get your mission done? Would you let go of whatever you need to let go of? Would you assume whatever you need to assume? What do you think? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm asking you here now in church, and so you know what answer to give, but I think those are all great questions for reflection. You know, are you willing to be an athlete uh, of faith to live with that sort of athletic discipline? I'll just end with this. If you feel like you're missing something in your daily walk of faith, if you're living out your faith day to day but feel like, yeah, something's, something's missing, I don't know, I feel like there's a chunk that's not there, feels a little bit empty, a little bit tinny, uh, if that's you, I would suggest that this is probably the case. You probably don't know what your purpose is. Or, to put a finer point on it, you're probably neglecting your purpose, your mission in life. I know from experience, I know from copious scripture, that if you are not more or less consumed with your spiritual mission in life, then you're always going to feel like something is missing. It's never going to work quite right for you. Your freedom will be a problem for you. You'll feel like, I got all these choices I could make, but somehow they all just feel like an added burden in my life. I would rather somebody just tell me what to do. You ever feel like that? That's a symptom of you not knowing what your mission is in life. That's, that's the diagnosis. That's my working diagnosis. Uh, that's what life and Scripture have taught me. You think that's true? If you think that might be true for you, step one, think about a winning attitude. All right, if I am a person of mission, if I am a person of purpose... Then, am I willing to live to win? Am I willing to go for it? Question number one. If you are, then the only question that remains is well, what what particularly should I do? And that, frankly, is an easier question. That's what most of the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians is going to be about. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that you would give us a picture of ourselves um, that is replete with freedom. I pray, Father, that we uh, would have a vision of ourselves this morning, uh, just free from worries about uh, status or rights or comforts, A picture of ourself that is infused with uh, purpose and and mission. Uh, What we have this morning, we give to you. We give to you a willing heart uh, to make us whatever you want to make us. We give to you a a pledge, Lord, that, that we are willing to be whatever we need to be to do what we ought to do. And in that, to find the freedom of Jesus and a life worth living. Uh, We want to win in life, Lord, Uh, and so we dedicate ourselves to live um, as one trying to win, running the race, hard and wholeheartedly. Uh, We need your help with that, Holy Spirit, so I pray that you would come minister to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would feel the gravity, the pull of your calling in our spirits. I pray that you would take, uh, take us simple people and, uh, and work extraordinary things uh, in our midst. I pray, Lord, that you would call us uh, deeper into uh, the Blue Water mission. Take us far out from land to places unexplored we might meet you and gather unreached. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says amen.